This is the Oanda Podcast. Brought to you by Jazz FM's Business Breakfast. Welcome back to the Oanda Market Insights Podcast. Brought to you with the Jazz FM Business Breakfast. And now available on iTunes and wherever you find your podcasts as well as online. I'm Johnny Hart. Each week we review the stories that made the business and market headlines. By 2022, I want the UK to be the G7's number one investor in Africa. It's an incredible deal for both parties. Most importantly, it's an incredible deal for the workers and for the citizens of both countries. We think that is in the interests of the EU as well as the UK, but it's going to need a huge amount of effort in the weeks that we have now left to us. And it's time to say hello again to Oanda Senior Market Analyst Craig Earlham. How are you doing, Craig? I'm very good, mate. We've just heard a little montage of uh, Donald Trump and Prime Minister Theresa May. No dancing in that one. Uh, <laughs> what was your market moment of the week, though? I think my market moment of the week has to revolve around the emerging markets, what's happened there. Uh, and this week, it's been all about Argentina. Uh, Argentina now has seen interest rates rise, actually, on Thursday to 60% in order to try and help or aid the crisis, which we are seeing there, particularly in the currency markets. We've seen extremely high levels of inflation already, which is the reason for previous rate hikes up to 45%. We've seen the currency plunging once again after Macri, the uh, Prime Minister, came out over the last couple of days talking up the need for the IMF to bring forward its rescue package of $50 billion. It's interesting, they've not described this as necessarily similar to the previous crisis back in 2001. They're very much referencing this almost as a liquidity crisis because he's already started to resolve some of the issues which have effectively caused this crisis, which is the standard cliche of economic mismanagement, too much spending, overly generous public service programs. And he's already started to resolve this, but people have lost confidence in the economy. And what we're seeing that is reverberate throughout the emerging markets, which again is not unusual. But when you do start seeing emerging market crisis form, and we've seen one in Turkey already, for example, people look at what other emerging markets might be in crisis. So we're seeing sell-offs in the Indian rupee. We're seeing a sell-off in the South African rand, which tends to suffer more because of the liquidity component of the currency. We've seen it now in the Indonesian rupee as well. And you expect other other areas may start to feel uh, the pain as well. So, a sort of emerging market contagion. I mean, that's typically what you do tend to see. And the, the problem that we've got with the emerging markets is they're already facing difficulties because we are in an interest rate hiking environment in the US. And what you typically see is in times of low interest rates in the US, people look to the emerging markets for some kind of return because they offer higher, uh, higher rates of interest. And also in these emerging markets, they look at the US for potential borrowing because of the low interest rates. And that tends to create this perfect storm when rates start to rise, especially if they're rising quite quickly and the US dollar has appreciated so rapidly that harms these economies which then have bills coming due or they have debt coming due in foreign currencies. So typically what you're looking for in these crises of which economies have large current account deficits so they're borrowing money from overseas in order to fund their own growth and which, more importantly, which have borrowed in dollars or other currencies which have now become far more expensive because of their own plunging currencies and that's where you're looking at turkey its exposure to europe for example the contagion aspect again and that is one of the reasons why we are starting to see a lot more focus now on these emerging market countries okay you mentioned the united states and as we speak talks between uh, the united states and canada over negotiating renegotiating that uh, nafta trade agreement certainly are going to the wire 
they're yet to resolve some of the problems before a deadline, but Mexico is on standby. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, the reason for this deadline is ultimately because it benefits Mexico and the US because the incumbent in Mexico um, is due to effectively be replaced after the election back in July in just over three months' time. And in order for this deal to be sealed by the incumbent, it needs to be agreed by today. That's why there's been such a need for this to be pushed through. And Trump obviously has his own reasons as well because he knows that Mexico has this deadline. He's pressured them to possibly try and get a deal which suits him possibly more than it would naturally have suited the next Mexican government, for example. He has the reasons that they've got midterm elections coming up, and if they're continuing to fight a trade war with China and with the EU, as the comments we've heard over the last couple of days would suggest he very much intends to, then to be able to sell a renegotiated better deal NAFTA for the US coming into these midterms, then naturally that almost validates his hardline stance that he's taken with all of these countries, even if people will dispute just how beneficial that's actually been. And now Canada again has this need to join because Trump has threatened to effectively end NAFTA and create this US-Mexico agreement. Of course, Canada is uh, the United States' biggest trading partner, but very much a junior partner in that relationship. They don't really have that much leverage, do they? They do have a certain amount of leverage because, as you say, the two countries are a massive trading partner for each other. So both countries would suffer economically if the other one pulled out of the agreement. And I think Trump knows this. Exactly. (laughs) Uh, And I think Trump knows this, but Trump knows he's coming from a position of strength because the economy is booming in the US, because the tax cuts have created a positive momentum for the country, that that he believes that if this trade agreement was to falter between the US and Canada, while it would have negative implications for the economy, compared to the benefits of the economy that things like tax reform and uh, and the general momentum that was already there would have, that, that he can afford to take this risk, whereas he doesn't think Canada can afford to take the risk. And Clearly, what he has believed is coming true because Canada is desperate to be involved in this agreement now and may have to make small sacrifices in order to appease him. But again, you've got to work out how much of this is PR because Canada may be willing to make these sacrifices and maybe some of the sacrifices that Mexico has made may also benefit Canada as part of this agreement. I don't think anyone's going to make huge sacrifices. The person who comes out looking best from this, and this is important to them, is Trump. Staying with Donald J. Trump, uh, Greg, he has threatened to withdraw uh, the United States from the the WTO, the World Trade Organization, claiming uh, that it treats his country unfairly. He says that it's too often ruling against the United States. How much of this, once again, is playing to the gallery? I think there is a certain element of that. I think the US has been known to call out the WTO. And like you say, Trump has complained about the WTO ever since the election campaign so it's no shock to see that he is calling them out once again. I think China has a lot to do with the US's uh, displeasure uh, with the WTO. Maybe it feels that the WTO hasn't done enough over the years to stop uh, China adopting such trade practices that do create these huge trade surpluses and deficits for other countries and now it seems that they want to use the leverage which they currently have to try and impose pressure on the WTO to reform itself and to start to protect the countries who are actually in his words being taken advantage of and I don't think he has any problems withdrawing with from the WTO because we've seen he was more than happy to withdraw from NAFTA he's withdrawn from the um, Trans-Pacific Partnership he's withdrawn from the Paris Uh, climate agreement 
I'm sure there's probably one or two I've missed off there as well. He is Iran. more than willing to follow through on his threats. There you go. So I don't think there's any problem with him wanting to, a willingness to withdraw, and other countries absolutely want the US to remain involved. How is it he seems to be winning all these battles? Whatever you say about Donald Trump, he actually is coming across as a winner. Well, the problem is that we've, we've, we've been in a, uh, a situation, I guess, where many leaders over many years have tried to do what's not best for their countries individually. And everyone's always looking out for their own country and they want ultimately their country and everyone else to prosper. But the, I, I, in my view, I think the idea behind everything that's happened over the decades, and I'm sure not everything has been done or followed through or gone uh, as expected, but the idea is that if you can lift... The, uh, the, the the this this rising tide lifts all type of mentality. So yes, certain agreements, certain deals may benefit one more than the other, but ultimately the idea being that everyone benefits in the longer run. And I think that has been something that people have been more on board with, acknowledging that it benefits, for example, China in the near term. But if you can grow their middle class, then ultimately they will buy more products off you and tourism, etc. in the longer term will ultimately benefit everyone. One of the problems that we now have is, yes, one of the losers in these agreements or one of the people who've benefited less in the near term in some of these agreements maybe has been the U.S., and the U.S. has almost accepted that as a price to pay for the longer-term success from a global perspective. Whereas Trump's not concerned about that. He's got in on a mandate of, we are sick of always coming second, regardless yeah. of the long term, and we're going to do what's best for us now. So yes, he, they do have leverage in these in these arguments and in these conflicts. The question is, yes, it may benefit the U.S. for the next five years, maybe even the next 10 years, but in 40 years, 50 years... Is the US going to be better off as a result of this? And my inkling is that they won't be and that previous leaders in all countries would agree with that. And it's not just better off economically, it's from an influence standpoint, because one of the reasons why the US has so much influence is because it sits at these tables. And if it keeps taking itself away from these tables, then influence is going to dwindle and the likes of EU and the likes of China and elsewhere are going to be more than happy to fill that seat. That's, Somewhat pessimistic, I apologise. It does sound pessimistic, and uh, we may as well stay on that track and talk about Brexit. Although earlier in the week, it was reported that uh, EU member states were backing plans to give the chief Brexit negotiator for the uh, EU, Michel Barnier, more flexibility. Where are we with Brexit as of this weekend? Well, I think the comments which we heard from Michel Barnier and from Emmanuel Macron over the last couple of days are positive because while they don't necessarily see too much ground, I think uh, on the face of it, they do. They they are a step forward because we haven't really heard much from leaders previously, and this is referenced in the Barnier comments about the need for the UK to have a unique deal. Previously, it's been all about: is it the Canada deal? Is it a Norway-style agreement? And instead, they seem to finally be acknowledging that we are a unique situation, and for that, we do need a unique, close relationship. Um, and I think one of the reasons why they are doing this is one because the deadline's drawing near, and two maybe. Yes, they they are starting to take the threats from the UK side of a no-deal Brexit. And perhaps more, more pressures seriously. from their own sectors in terms of the export community. Uh, that must have had an effect. I think the, all of these things are contributing, and I, I think they were always considering these different things. But I think, again, I, I, without meaning to go back to what we've already discussed, I think the global environment right now, which we are in from a political standpoint... The prospect for the EU to lose an ally like the UK and push them away, yeah. I don't think 
is seen as beneficial. And I think this is actually one of the things that Brexiteers in, in Parliament were really banking on this 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 idea they need that us. they need us. Yeah. Not necessarily. I know they always said from an economic standpoint, and I do think yeah. both sides benefit from close alliances. I think that the economic side is something that the EU is willing to sacrifice partially in order to drive home the message that being part of this group is more important than not being. Is more important than an extra percentage point on GDP or 0.5 percentage point, whatever it is. They wanted to drive home that being part of this group is far more important. But from a purely geopolitical standpoint, pushing the UK away, I don't think it's seen as beneficial at a time when the US is going a bit rogue and is going out on its own, when there's enormous pressure coming from Russia, yeah. both in terms of interference in, in elections, etc. And I think they're looking at this situation now saying, we need an ally. We need an ally that we can rely on. And the UK is very much happy to move over towards the US, at least from a political standpoint, and we need to do what we can to keep them closely, more closely tied to us. So this is a positive thing for us as a country. It's positive thing, more positive things from us uh, as a country that's exiting the EU. The question is how far they'll go, because no matter what they want from this, and these words suggest they do want a close ties, they are not going to jeopardise the integrity of the single market. Therefore, we're still back to the square one, which is how do we square this particular circle of protecting the integrity of the single market while maintaining very close ties, but also protecting things like the Good Friday Agreement, which needs to preserve the Northern Ireland border. So how near are we to, say, the, the Chequers Agreement of a few weeks ago? Well, I don't think we're near to necessarily the Chequers Agreement because the problem with that is that didn't seem to get support from the opposition bench in Parliament, the Conservative bench in Parliament, the Northern Irish, the Republic of Ireland, Europe. No one seemed to really sign up to that agreement. Maybe that's a starting point that we can start to build off, but I think any eventual agreement may be some way from that because we didn't hear many supportive voices. Let's hope that common sense prevails, uh, Craig. We can only hope. What, what you're saying is, I mean, it is going absolutely to the wire, and we've always said who is going to blink first. One of the concerns right now is political situation in a number of countries, and it does seem to be becoming very um, protective, and uh, from becoming much more about protectionism and rejecting um, the outside in, in, many, in many ways. Ultimately... That seems to be one of the things that's going to help us in these negotiations is the fact that they don't want another rejection. And from inside, you've got the, the situation in Italy where you've got another populist government and they are very much watching these negotiations very closely to see how they can use these to their advantage. We had these protests in Germany um, this week, which were, uh, I think, extremely concerning from based on the reports that we've seen. We know that we've got rising uh, populist support in France, etc. This is an incredible balancing act. I have no idea how they're going to manage it on one hand it's a shame that it's going to benefit the uk in terms of these negotiations but on the other hand i guess we have to thank our good fortune that it could actually ensure that we get a good trade deal that's not too damaging on the economy so that when we do go out alone we go out in a position of uh, relative strength compared to where we may have been had the brexit uh, vote maybe taken place five years prior okay craig before you go let's have a brief uh, look ahead to next week what are you looking out for yeah, next week is going to be, I think, another very interesting week from a market's perspective. It's hard to ignore the political situations that we've gone over here. We're emerging markets. Um, who's going to come under the spotlight next after Argentina? Who's Trump going to pick a fight with next? We've seen right towards the back end of this week talking about uh, rejecting the EU's offer in terms of reducing 
car tariffs to zero on, on both sides of the border. He's rejected that as not going far enough. There's been reports that he's willing to give the nod for 200 billion tariffs on China as early as next week. So I think that's going to be uh, back in the headlines again next week. It's hard to look past the political situation. We've got Michel Barnier uh, meeting with Dominic Raab, as you mentioned today. So we'll probably hear a lot more of that for the uh, for the coming uh, days and weeks. So uh, aside from that, from an economic standpoint, there's still plenty more to keep an eye on. We've got the US jobs report later on next week. We've got the Reserve Bank of Australia meeting in the middle of the week. And again, they've been back in the spotlight recently talking about the next rate move will likely be a hike and we talked about this with Stephen last week and he gave some really interesting uh, input on it and then we've also got the Bank of Canada meeting next week just to throw another one in there Bank of Canada have been very active in um, on the interest rate side of things recently also raising interest rates uh, alongside the US at a faster rate than most others so again that's going to be another interesting meeting plenty I guess to look forward to. Okay, we look forward to speaking to you in a week's time. Thanks Hopefully very much, more optimistic. <laughs> yes, you better be. Well, that was this week's Oanda Market Insights podcast. Don't forget, it's now available on iTunes or indeed wherever you find your podcasts. Have a great week. was the Oanda podcast from the team behind Jazz FM's Business Breakfast, a daily early morning 30-minute briefing for the day ahead. On air from 6am. Listen to Jazz FM on DAB, online or just ask Alexa.